This is really beneficial for bigger frames because you save a lot of weight by moving to these vertical truss arms. I think the image quality certainly of HD0 is gonna improve. If you're looking for um, a premium motor, so you're looking to spend uh, a little bit more and get more performance, um, I would always recommend looking at RCM Power. Hey, just before we get started today, I wanted to say a massive thank you to you and also the guests that we've had on the show. We're breaking the three-month point since starting the FPV podcast, since that first episode way back with Evan Turner. It doesn't even feel like that long ago, but we're a quarter of a year into this now. So thank you guys. Without you guys, I wouldn't be here creating what I can for you. And thank you to the guests for coming on and believing in a show that is here to provide value to FPV beginners, pilots, experienced people, whatever, to everybody, right? So with all that being said, I'm super stoked to be announcing that today. We've got the creator and designer behind many of your guys' favorite frames, the AOS frames. So without further ado, allow me to introduce you to Chris Rosser. I did want to get started with some quick fire questions. It's something that I do on every episode where I ask you about five quick fire questions that ideally you can answer as quickly as sort of possible. Um, and yeah, if you're, if you're ready for those, <laughs> we'll dive on into All that. Right. Yeah, well, thank you for having me on, Brody. I'm keen, to, I'm keen to try and answer these questions. Let's do it. Epic. Well, hey, they're all subjective, so they're up to you to answer, not necessarily anything okay. definite. So first one is, what is your hands down favorite quad frame? Uh, that's, that's not a very fair question because <laughs> I would have to say, because I make, I design quad frames, as you know. So Absolutely. I think um, my favorite, the one that I'm really proud of is the UL7 right now. Cool. Um, just because it's, it's so different from like other seven inch quads and uh, performs a lot better as a result. And it, and it just looks, totally crazy so that's that would be my favorite yeah. no you're you're so right there i literally had um a friend of mine just recently bought it and i had it in my hands man it is <clears throat> the lightest seven inch frame i've ever held in my life and it just the way that the arms are like or the the break the bracing and stuff is up and stuff it's a completely different design and i've also held the what is it the iFlight chimera i think is that the other seven inch yeah the, yeah that one the weight difference between those two is just unreal. Like, <laughs> so I can hundred percent vouch with you on that one. That's you should be proud of that. It's an insanely cool uh, frame. Um, cool. So next question is, what's the most exciting place for you to fly at? Well, I I have a few places near me that I like to fly. Um, I have mainly like parks and trees around where I am. So not mm -hmm. a lot of like kind of bandos or or kind of concrete houses um to fly around but the place i i there's a like a really nice tract of of sort of park and forest just it's about five minutes away from me that i fly at a lot nice. and i would say that's that's my favorite place to fly because i just i know it so well now i've flown there for like three or four years i know i know all the lines um i know how it changes with the seasons so there are lines that i can fly in the winter that i can't fly in the summer um, and there are lines in the summer that are really awesome, um, you know, particularly over bits of water and, and some of the tree line that are just awesome and they don't really exist in the winter or they're so full of ghost branches that it's almost scary to fly there in the winter. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I, guess, uh, I guess I'm one of those people who really likes to fly the same place kind of over and over again and like learn everything about it and then see how it changes um through the seasons and as as the trees kind of grow and um as some get cut down and new ones planted it's kind of cool to see how it all evolves yeah heck yeah your your entire trek is just an ever-changing an ever-changing place that yeah you got trees going up trees going down i love that that's that's great i think yeah. it's the same for a lot of people having the the same place because or at least the same couple of places so you go there you know the lines that you want to hit the dives that you want to hit and you're like all right Today I'm going to attempt this, and then sometimes you get the quad stuck in the top of the trees, and that's fun. But you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, all right. Number three is what rates are you running? Um, I run normally. I run just fly the piece of flight standard rates. Um, okay. If I'm just flying freestyle, and if I'm doing more cruisy kind of cinematic stuff, um, I knock it down to maybe like max rate of 400 degrees a second, something like that. Gotcha. Um, but uh, mainly I like to try and stick to just the same rate profile on all my quads so that I kind of learn it and get the muscle memory. Yeah. Um, 
and yeah, I found the the beta flight kind of default rates were were really good for me for freestyle. Awesome, that's that's great to hear. That's that's awesome because it means for a lot of people who are you know coming into the hobby and stuff, they can just go with beta flight and be like, yeah, cool, this works and yeah. it works for Chris, so it's going to work for for me as well. Like, <laughs> I don't have to do some. I love I love actual rates as well. Like, I, I I've definitely preferred. I definitely prefer the default actual rates to the the kind of beta flight default rates. They're very slightly different, and I, okay. I think I prefer them. They're also a lot easier to tune as well. So, yeah, That's yeah, nice. understandable. Okay, number four is an interesting one, especially because you design the frames yourself. Are you a fan of bind and fly quads? Am I a fan of them? Um, so I I DIY all my quads. Um, yeah. And I spend a lot of time these days building kind of prototypes rather than um, rather than kind of final quads. Mm. I think I think that bind and flies are sort of uh, they're they're good to get into the hobby. I started with a bind and fly. I think that as people spend more time in the hobby, um, if they if they want to invest more time, they might go the DIY route, um, and so they can get spares and they can easily repair things when it breaks. I think it also depends on your flying style. If you're someone who um, doesn't crash very much, then you might find that you know you can just get a bind and fly and fly that for you know a year or whatever, and you don't have any issues. Um, or you might get a couple, and then you can kind of swap parts between them. So I don't think there's anything wrong with bind and flies. I do think they help get people kind of into the hobby more easily. Yeah. Um, but I think yeah, for for me myself, I do DIY all my builds nowadays yeah yeah completely understandable and you actually touched on it a, a little bit there but the last question is when did you start flying fpv oh when did i start flying fpv it's got to be about four or five years ago now um when i started and yeah i just got into the hobby because i really i i love tinkering with with all the components and i did some sort of small robotics type projects um but with the robotics projects, I'd sort of build something and it would be it would be cool and it would work for a bit, but um, I got the enjoyment out of building it and not so much out of using it. Um, and with the drones, there's as much enjoyment in the flying of the quad as there is in the building of it. So um, you can kind of have all the fun tinkering and putting it all together and configuring it. And then once you've finished, you've not just got like a toy that that you can kind of play around with for a bit, but you've actually got something that you can take out and fly and really enjoy like over and over again um, and have a great experience with. So I think that's where the hobby kind of elevates itself over um, over like those sort of just Arduino projects, which um, like with some of Arduino projects, like they're really cool and you can build them, but then sometimes you find that what you've, end up with at the end isn't very similar to something that you could have just bought at mm. the start and it's whereas with the fpv quad of course you end up with something that you can you can go and fly and really enjoy and is more unique than anything you could have just bought off the shelf absolutely you can modify it to however you want do whatever you want with it you don't like how the motors perform screw it slap some other motors on there like you know you yeah. don't like how the a three inch flies build yourself a five inch like there's a there's a lot of variety that that goes along with that. I'm I'm curious to know that how like what was it or was there somebody or something that made you go from the robotic side of things and into drones? Because there's I imagine there's a definite sort of difference between them. And so like was there something that particularly got you interested in drones, or did you just happen to stumble across them? Uh, I just happened to stumble across it on YouTube, honestly, um, oh. and watched some some flight videos and was like, "Oh, that's really cool." And then, um, and then was just watching like build videos um, from like JB and Rotoriot. Um, I was like, "Oh, wow, this is so cool!" This is basically like the the kind of electronics Arduino type projects that I've been messing around with. Yeah. But once I've built it, I can go fly it and and really enjoy that and i always had a, a sort of a desire to maybe learn to fly like to to get a pilot's license or something um but that never really uh, was no, never really an opportunity for me in terms of the the time and the money that it would take to do that but with fpv quads you can have i would say even an even more 
kind of visceral kind of extreme experience of flight yeah. than you can ever have in a manned plane because it would just be way too dangerous right um you can have that really amazing experience uh but you know you don't have to go through the 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 challenge of getting like a manned pilot's license and you also have the enjoyment of you know building the quads that you're going to go and fly so that's that's how it got me hooked really yeah for sure i mean you slap the goggles on you know, you go throw yourself through some trees. There's no way in hell that you're ever going to be flying. Well, unless maybe you get to like Red Bull standard where you're flying that stunt planes and going yeah. in some extremely crazy situations. For the average mm. Joe like myself, there's probably no chance it's ever going to happen. So, you know, slapping the goggles on and, and going for a, a, a fly as close as in, in close proximity to things is, yeah, it's a, yeah. uh, it's, I mean, it's FPV, right? It's first-person view. It's a first-person experience. Your brain registers a, as a experience that is actually happening to you. So, I mean, for me at least, the adrenaline's yeah. always there. And yeah, I, I'm 100% with you there. That makes perfect sense. So, obviously, that was you know five years ago that you got into this this hobby. What do you do now, five years later? How would you how would you explain everything that you do at the moment? Yeah. So, well. I guess I started off just kind of flying quads and enjoying building them and learning a lot about the the hobby. Um, and then I decided that I, I wanted to, you know, try out making, making some videos. Um, and the reason I kind of got into that was because I'm a mechanical engineer by training. Um, and I was looking at frames for, for quadcopters. And I was just seeing that there were ways that the, the performance, the flight performance of the frame could be improved, um, mainly in this, this kind of area of vibration and resonance. And this has become an area of frame design that is now, I think, a focus for a lot of people who design quadcopter frames. And I think I like to think that I was one of the first people to really push that area of, of kind of frame performance to say that, no, you don't just need a frame that's um, easy to build in. You need a frame that's that's easy to build, it's durable, and it has good vibration and resonance performance. I tried to kind of bring that um, all together. And so that's how I got into doing the analyses of kind of quadco other quadcopter frames and sort of saying, oh, well, here are the resonant modes. Here's how it's vibrating. Look, we can also see it in the black box log. So this stuff is physical and it is transferring from you know, what we're seeing in the simulation to what we're seeing in flight. Yeah. And this is causing problems for, for people's flight performance. They're getting, you know, hot motors or they're, they're getting um, oscillations in their video feed or, or whatever the case may be. And then people were commenting on my videos, oh, well, you should design, you should design a frame that's better. And so really just from that suggestion, I, I designed uh, a frame that had better vibration and resonance performance than the frames that you could buy at the time. This was the AOS 5 V1, like the very yep. first one. Um, and I was speaking with uh, a guy in Canada called uh, Nick, who runs a company called CNC Madness, um, who was cutting the prototypes for my frames. And he was like, oh, you know, I want to set up a web shop um, and start making, you know, start selling um, off the shelf frames or frames that he's cutting to order, but from a design that's sort of fixed and off the shelf. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, we kind of uh, worked together to get that web shop kind of up and running and started. And um, yeah, just been, just been um, listening to to people's requests of what frames they want and then designing new frames and, and launching them. And then, uh, oh, I guess about maybe a year ago now, um started working with iFlight to actually put some of my frames into kind of mass production um cool. and and send them out to retailers so yeah a bit of a roundabout story of how i got from starting in fpv to to now um and that's sort of just on the frame side of things part of what what having making the youtube videos and having the the sort of the support of of the community has also allowed me to do is do a lot more testing of of FPV components. And I think that's something that, that I really enjoy and want to do more of as well. So um, yeah, take your pick from from any of those <laughs> threads. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we, we can expand a little bit on on your sort of testing side of things. We mentioned this before this podcast that 
at the moment you're doing motor testing and prop testing on your channel and obviously you're doing that you know pretty in depth for yourself too and you're wanting to go into battery testing as a as a as a new avenue or something else to explore so do you want to go through what exactly you're keen on doing with the battery testing side of things? Yeah, absolutely. So um, as you said, I started off doing uh, motor testing and prop testing. I've got a, a thrust test stand, which allows me to kind of do these very scientific controlled comparisons between different motors and props. And um, when I started off doing the, the motor and prop testing, I sort of expected that there wouldn't be much, if any, difference between um, different motors of the same size made by good manufacturers uh, and the same true of props. But when I actually came to test them, I realized that there are much bigger differences than I expected between these components uh, on the order of, you know, 10, 20% in some cases. Wow. And it really makes a difference that, that people are going to feel uh, when they're flying and there is going to be kind of a measurable difference in performance there. And so that sort of got me thinking, well, we need more independent, fair, scientific testing of components. And, and one of the things that people have always been asking me about is battery testing. I think there's a real understanding in the hobby that FPV batteries are kind of subject to the same um, marketing hype and and kind of um, poor poor specifications and things like yeah. that that we had in uh, in motors and props kind of before I started doing my testing. And I think I've made some some headway to address uh, address that with my motor testing. You know, you can go and look at on, on my website and, and see the performance of all the motors on all the different parameters now. And you don't have to believe what the marketing says. And I want to do the same for batteries because manufacturers have just been slapping enormous C ratings on their packs, you know, 100C, yeah. I've seen 200C, 220C, um, and trying to market that as a measure of performance. Um, they've been making, they've been over, I think, overselling a lot of packs. So uh, overpricing packs that are, you know, only averagely good or, or, or mediocre. So people yeah. are kind of overpaying um, just for that rating. And um, that there's not as much kind of good information out there as to how packs compare so that when you're looking for to buy a battery, you can get one that's going to perform really well at a good price. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's something I want to get into. And so uh, I need to buy some test equipment for that. So there's going to be, um, I'm going to be uh, mentioning in, in some of my videos that are coming up. Um, you know, asking people to support just a few dollars, put put a few bucks towards the battery test equipment, um, yep. which will allow me to like simulate an FPV flight effectively from the battery's perspective. So draw the currents that we draw, you know, hundreds of amps um, in punch outs and things like that, have, yep. have equipment that can do that, can simulate a flight so we can, we can you know, go and fly a quad with beta flight record how much current we're drawing from the pack across the whole flight and then oh. actually reproduce that using the battery test machine and do that same flight over and over again on loads of different batteries and then um, you know hopefully i'll be able to tell you guys which batteries are performing really well which are great value and which which ones are kind of overpriced um and are ones to maybe stick clear of yeah absolutely and it'll, it'll also be interesting considering the fact that you've got or you'll, you'll, you'll have a, a testing piece of equipment that can run the exact same test as you do scientifically, like over and over and over and over. Mm. It'll be interesting to see how those certain batteries also survive over time a little bit as well, because, you know, as we know, degrading batteries with proper care still, there is still a lot of difference between all the brands. Some brands tend to last a lot longer. Some brands mm. seem to be here and there. You know, and, and this all comes down to a lot of people's opinions as well. You don't really know how much people are actually looking after their batteries. Like, exactly. they say they do, but are they, you know, how hard are they dropping the voltage? Like, you know, what's the temperature and whatnot? I guess there's a lot of variables that go into it, right? Yeah, and you might have someone who's like, oh, you know, this battery is terrible durability. Um, and you realize that actually they're flying somewhere really hot. Um, mm. they leave their batteries fully charged all the time. 
um, which we know is really bad for our packs, you know, leaving them fully oh, yeah. charged for long periods just kills them. So yeah. maybe that's contributing to the poor durability. And if, you, if you're someone who flies in a cooler environment and you tend to, you know, take your packs down to storage voltage um, between your flights, you might get totally different durability. And so, yeah, we need some sort of scientific testing of, of what the effect is. And um, also looking at like these high volt packs. Um, is a is a high volt pack that you kind of charge and discharge over and over again is that going to be more durable than uh, a pack that's not rated high volt but yeah. you can still overcharge you can still charge them up to 4.35 and and you'll still get the extra performance but will the high volt pack kind of survive that treatment better or or is it just an again a sort of marketing thing that they're yeah. just sticking high volt on it saying you can charge up to 4.35 so they can sell it for a bit more money and they know that if you do that you'll shorten the life so you'll be back buying another pack more quickly you know yeah um so yeah i'm, I'm really excited to kind of start to get into doing all of that testing um okay. and do kind of the same thing i have for motors and props with batteries and just get get some data that we can look at and say you know these manufacturers do really well you probably are going to be fine buying a pack from them. Steer clear of these guys, in general, not not so good. So absolutely, no. That's that's a that's a that's a cool thing to to really valuable thing as well for the community because at the end of the day you're going to be saving people a lot of money or a lot of a lot of money that could be a lot better spent elsewhere. Yeah. And so for them to come and like support you on that is that are they go to your Patreon for that or is there a give a little page? Yeah, like? that's it. I'm just asking people to I'm just asking people to sign yeah. up my patreon um you know just sp spare a few dollars if you can and um you know i promise i promise everyone that like the money that you'll save from not buying overpriced batteries that don't perform like they should is going to be a whole heap more than than um you know the small contribution to get this test equipment bought and up and running you know because because you you know you might you might you know, send five dollars my way and and help buy this equipment, and then you're going to come and buy a uh, you're going to be able to buy a thirty dollar battery rather than a forty dollar battery, and get better performance. And you're going to be buying you know what like five packs or something. So, yeah, bingo on that one. Yeah, cool. So your Patreon link um, or the Patreon link for Chris is down in the description. So if you do want to support him there, go down there and you know please do send do some money because I definitely want to be seeing some more of the battery side of things because I mean. I just went and bought quite a few. <laughs> Don't you can't you can't get annoyed at me here, but CNHL, you know the the classic China hobby line. Um, yeah, yeah. But I mean, hey, they were running a fifty percent sale at one of the local places. I was like, well, may as well pick up some packs for fifty percent off. But it's going to be really interesting to see. Um, I've never bought an expensive battery, mainly because I'm just like not too worried about the weight and and the exact performance. I'm not at that stage of being quote unquote good enough to sort of recognize too much difference but for future batteries i'm definitely very interested and it's also i'm also kind of interested to know from your motor testing and your prop testing have you come out with any like definite sort of props and motors that you that you or, or brands that you specifically recommend now yeah so i would say um i have i kind of maintain a list of recommended products based on my testing on my website aosrc.com cool. so people can can go there um to see the latest kind of recommendations that are, i said it's all based on the testing yeah um if i had to give you kind of broad strokes i would say if you're looking for um a premium motor so you're looking to spend uh, a little bit more and get more performance um i would always recommend looking at rc and power um there they have this sort of they have the the i guess the honor of being the, of like taking the top five places in my motor testing like the, the wow. number one two three four and five like they Jesus. they're just they they've done so well um and i mean there are other motors that have that have come in um but for consistency every motor that i've tested of theirs has been a top performer and that's not always true of, of other brands right so yeah um rc and power definitely my recommendation for a premium motor um really really good um for a budget motor um 
you know, I always just keep coming back to like the Emacs Eco 2. I mean, it, it's not the best performing motor by any means, um, but the performance is quite consistent. It's quite an efficient motor. It's quite powerful. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a good choice and it's loads better performing than any other motor at that price point. So like the $14, $15 price point. It's just so much better than other motors of the same cost. Um, but if you can, if you can, you know, go up a little bit more to maybe sort of 20 bucks, then, um, yeah, the Zing 2 from iFlight is always a good choice as well. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Those are, those are all, I mean, it's funny. I haven't actually, uh, I don't know if it's cause I haven't necessarily got any around New Zealand, but I, I mean, there might be, I could be completely wrong there, but I haven't actually heard of that first brand that you mentioned that got the top five, um, RC and power. Yeah. RC and power. No, yes, one, I, no one's heard of these guys. Wow. No one has heard of these guys and they have just been sitting there churning out absolutely crazy good motors for such That's a long wild. time and they perform so well. Um, and yet no one's heard of them, but I tell yeah. you who has heard of them because um, uh, top racers, like really competitive racers, a lot of them fly RC in power, like um, wow. Minchin Kim flies RC in power. Okay. Um, so I think when, when you've got, when you're at that level with racing, where you're looking at the, you know, you're looking at tenths of a second on a lap and things like that. Yeah. Um, they probably try RCM power motors and realize they get a little bit better lap time and, and mm. they can't, they don't do kind of like a scientific thrust stand test like I do, but still, you know, if the performance is better, you can see in the lap time that you're able to go a little bit faster for whatever reason with these motors. And that's, um, and yeah, so I don't know, RCM power, I think, uh, uh, definitely probably the most underrated brand the motor brand in fpv because no one's heard it of them and they're like, brilliant yeah absolutely it literally sounds like i've like you said i've never heard of them i've definitely heard of the zings definitely heard of the eco twos <laughs> like those are extremely popular motors and that's probably due to the price point but there's also mm. a lot of other motors that i've heard of that are up here for the price and yeah never have i heard of rcm power so that's a that's a great one i might have to look into that for the next build as well um speaking of builds uh, on on that sort of subject I'm curious to know what sort of the process is behind you designing and then prototyping and getting frames out to people. So like, what's, what's your, what's the process behind that? Cause I really have no idea what goes into it aside from obviously, you know, there's some form of design work and then prototype, but like, what's, what's a little bit more in depth to that? Yeah. So, um, I got to preface this by saying that that my process of kind of getting designs out to people um, is definitely in the process, it, you know, it's evolving all the time. Um, Absolutely. Because when I started um, and doing things quite small scale, and now now that I'm working with some some kind of mass manufacturing, it's it's changing a lot how I go about doing doing frame designs. But I'll tell you kind of the, the, the general process. For sure. Um, normally it's, suggestion based so uh, a lot of people will email me with requests and and sort of suggestions for frame designs um the ones that are most popular and kind of most suggested i tend to pick up yeah. um i'll do uh usually two or three um rounds of prototypes where i'll i'll uh, get nick in canada to cut me you know a few prototypes of the frame i'll get them back i'll build them up i'll fly them um the my design process is very simulation based. So I will design the frame in a CAD program. I will simulate it in um, a, an FEA solver. Um, and from that, I can see the resonance performance of the design. Um, wow. And then when I get the prototypes and I do the flight testing, the flight testing is very much about verifying that the thing that I have built matches the simulation. Um, and provided that I can see that it's matching really well, that gives me confidence that the the design is kind of performing as it should. And um, you know, over time, um, I've been able to get the kind of accuracy of the simulations to within about it's certainly within five percent, and most of the time it's within three wow. percent in terms of the kind of frequency and amplitudes that I'm seeing. And that that's kind of what gives me confidence that the the design is going to be good enough. 
Um, and then, uh, and then I'll sort of, um, I'll release it for, for manufacture with Nick in, in CNC drones in Canada, um, and give people the opportunity to, to kind of check out the design if they want to. And, and then the, then, um, every few months I will, you know, come back to a design. I'll look through all the feedback I've got, um, and I make minor tweaks where where I think it's needed. So um, I think this is maybe different from how other frame manufacturers work in FPV when they sort of come out with a design and then that's the design. It never changes. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, if if people are like, oh, you know, I tried to fit this particular ESC in the frame and it was, you know, it's like a big race ESC and it just was a bit tight and they'll send me some pictures. And they'll be like, oh, you know, I, it, it was a bit tight. You know, I'll come back to that. I'll look at it. I'll be like, oh, well, can I move? Can I move the stack mounting holes very slightly just to provide a little bit more space for that? Um, if people have um, are saying, you know, there's a particular point where um, a frame is breaking, like on an arm or something, there's like a, just a particular break point. Um, I'll go and I'll thicken up that area a little bit. So making these kind of minor uh modifications just to try and kind of continually improve the design and i think that's that's where i like to think that i can add some value and make the frames better um than like what you'd get from a, a sort of mass manufactured frame in china because once they've fixed their design they never change it and so anything that's wrong with the the first version just is never fixed um yeah. and yeah i'm always kind of making small tweaks and mods to to the designs just to uh, try and make them a little bit better a little bit better so um and that's just a kind of continuous process and i think that's that's one of the one of the things which i i want to keep doing i'm i'm kind of proud of um about the design so uh you know if you do see like you order an aos frame and then a few months later you order another one and it's like very slightly different um you notice that like a little area has changed like the holes moved like fractionally um then you know that's yeah that'll just be part of the kind of continuous improvement of trying to trying to make the design um even a little bit better and that's so awesome because like you said something is released and sometimes i mean if it's something like i don't know something that's you know software based then it can be fixed with software but the fact that manufacturers put out a frame and they're like, cool, that's it. It's great. You know, it's a great frame. And sure, it might be a great frame, but there's always going to be issues with things. And I think it's amazing that you as the as the designer, you're also not like so I don't know what the right wording here is, but you're not like super protective over your ego or anything. You're not like, oh wow, like my frame was was amazing. Like I don't need to fix it. You're just like, oh yeah, cool. That that actually makes sense. And it's it's something that can only be found with real world testing. And I mean, the great thing is you've got an audience that is excited and happy to test those things and then provide that feedback to you. And you're like, brilliant. Like, obviously you provided an amazing frame to start with. And then to make those continual improvements is just absolutely micro refining it and making it yeah. more and more so the the perfect frame as such. That That's my goal is, yeah, just to keep keep kind of refining the design and to try and achieve like, try and achieve the kind of the perfect balance of of weight and durability and flight performance and vibration performance and to try and like find the optimum um yeah. and so yeah i just i really appreciate it when people let me know um uh you know areas where where they you know the design could be a little bit better a little bit improved and um just like people to know that you know i i listen i read all the feedback like every email that comes in um i read it and i do make these kind of minor updates and they i always make sure they're not breaking changes so like all the parts will remain like when i do these minor updates the the parts always remain compatible so mm unless we're going between like versions of the frame when there'll yeah, be some sure. clear things that are not compatible, but like the minor refinement thing that happens all the time, the parts will stay compatible. You can interchange them with no problem. Um, so no one ever needs to worry about that. It's just, uh, it's just, yeah, like tiny tweaks to try and just make it um, a little bit lighter in one area or a little bit more durable or anything like that. Brilliant. That's yeah. That's like I said, that's an awesome thing to be doing, especially cause it's very, 
community-based and it's very valuable to the community who are, you know, supporting you by buying the frames and then testing them. You're also in turn supporting them back. And I did want to touch on the seven inch frame as well. The, um, that, that you, that you've fairly recently redone with the, is it the, I don't need the wording wrong, but is it Evo, the Evo, the like, ev evolution, the Evo series? Yeah, yeah, the Evo the version. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So I'm, I'm keen to hear, you mentioned it first, it's your, you know, it's the frame that you're most proud of. That's your favorite right now. Do you want to run me through a little bit of why that is and, and some of the design choices yeah. that you've made? I think I got one. Yeah, I got one. Heck yeah. That's, that's what we like to hear. <laughs> <laughs> I've got one. So yeah, if people aren't kind of familiar, this is the, the UL7 that Brody's talking about. Um, get this in the shop. Um, but it's got this like very unique arm design to it um which is something that i've been kind of playing around with for a while and i actually used it first on a cine lifter that i designed the the aos cine 80 which i've also gotcha. got back here oh. so this is the cine 80 and awesome. so it's got this kind of like truss arm structure going on and it turns out that when you start making frames bigger, um, you need to make the arms a lot stiffer and stronger to maintain the, the vibration and resonance performance that you need. Gotcha. And um, that, that turns out to be just to make them really heavy. Just The whole frame gets a lot heavier. You make the carbon in the arm really thick. You make the arm really, really big. It gets very heavy. You can do a lot better if you move to this vertical arm structure where the the plate for the arm is is now vertical rather than horizontal. So normally we'd put it horizontally in like a normal frame, in a small frame. But ma making it vertical, you make it a lot stiffer. And then to avoid the kind of flexibility now being in the wrong direction, you have this truss design where you have two struts that kind of brace against each other. So you end up with a super stiff arm in all directions and then you have to do this you have to do this kind of interesting motor mount thing where you have two plates uh, that kind of sandwich together to hold the motor um, and this is really beneficial for bigger frames because you save a lot of weight by moving to these vertical truss arms and that uh, that just hugely improves flight performance um, and it and flight time particularly for long-range quads as well so yeah that's the that's kind of the uh, I guess the core behind that design. Yeah, heck yeah. It's like, like I said, I, I have held it and it's amazingly lightweight. It's, I picked I picked it up. It was a fully built quad with everything on it. I picked <laughs> it up, I'm like, holy crap. Like it's, it's really a, like a, a piece of art. It's amazing. It's, it's like great job on it. Um, Thanks. Yeah, it's, it is fantastic. And I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. And I mean, that's, that's, that's also the same to say with the majority of your other frames too. You've, they've all got very uh, unique and also very specific designs, which I, which is a great thing. Obviously it's not super generic. It's like, you can look at it and be like, oh, that's an AOS frame. Like 100%, like there's no denying it. It's, it is an AOS yeah, frame. Yeah, they don't look like anything else. No, I think don't. That's, that's sort of where I think the simulation uh, has kind of come into it because the, being able to simulate things um, just has enabled me to just try stuff out that would just seem crazy because yeah. I can I can design something up in you know twenty minutes half an hour I can simulate it over over overnight um, and run all the all the kind of uh, simulation tests on it because I have that all scripted now so I can just kind of like just hit go and it'll run all the tests. And then come back in the in the morning and see if it's a good good design or not. And um, that's kind of what led me down the path of these these vertical truss arms was just that the simulations just kept saying that these are amazingly good performing, very wow. lightweight and very very stiff. Um, and that once you get up to the sort of seven inch size is when they start making sense, when they yeah. start ending up being lighter and stiffer than um, you know normal. Uh, a traditional arm design so um yeah it was kind of, i guess kind of the uh, inevitable that the ul7 was going to happen at some point yeah epic and like like i said insanely cool frame um 
Um, I'm curious to know, should somebody be looking at your collection of, of frames, which is, um, there's, there's, how many frames have you got available at the moment? Quite a few, right? Oh, I think it's like, it's more than 10 now, I'm sure. Yeah, wow. So <laughs> there's a substantial amount of frames you've got available. If Say you've got a, a beginner or somebody who's, maybe it's their first build, maybe they've been on bind and flies and stuff and they're keen on their first build. What's a frame they should look at buying? Like if they're going for an AOS? Yeah, so if they if they want to go for an AOS, um, the two the two that are the most popular and I think the best for beginners, either the AOS five or the AOS three point five. They're the kind of two that I would I would recommend beginners look at. Um, yeah. The the AOS three point five uh, is good if you're looking to go under two hundred fifty grams, um, which is important for some people in some places. Uh, it's not yeah. important for everyone. Um, and the, then if you're not worried about sub 250 grams, probably the AOS five is the one that I would, I'd recommend just because there's the most, there's the biggest selection of parts for five inch drones. So yeah. you're much more likely to be able to find, um, parts to build out that quad. Uh, and, and of course you can also pick up the 3.5 or the AOS five as a bind and fly for my flight as well. So, um, You've got that option of either building it yourself or or buying it complete, um, and it's going to be something you know. It's a solid, proven platform that's going to get you up in the air easily, uh, without too many issues. So, um, the other frames, I think, they're more they're more specific for the, you know they people who buy the UR seven for example know that they want to do like long range or fast chase work, Absolutely. and they know that that's what they need. Um, yeah. And so usually usually people I think start out with kind of three point five or five inch quads. It's pretty standard yeah. nowadays. Yeah, for sure, for sure. What did you start out with five years ago? I started out with a ooh, what was it? It was a five inch quad. It was like a five inch racing quad, analog. Okay. Yeah. Uh five inch race quad. Um just from Banggood, I think it wasn't. It was just like a, a very, very cheap bind and fly, um, and it lasted like I would say two, three weeks. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and and uh, and then I just I broke it in a in a nasty crash, um, and because it was a bind and fly, I couldn't get any spares or anything like that, and so that's when I moved to uh, starting to sort of DIY my own quads. Um, because I could then I'd buy just like I buy a couple of frames. And that's kind of what I recommend to people now is that um, if you're going to DIY a quad, uh, you know, buy maybe two frame kits and then you're always going to have spares. Like you'll you'll know that you'll be able to just like swap arms or or, you know, anything that might get damaged. Uh, and eventually, like the ends of arms will wear out, uh, even if they're, you know, if they're not protected. So, yeah, little things like that. No, it makes perfect sense. Definitely buy two kits. I mean, that's I haven't even thought about myself. I've always bought uh, more arms, specific, like specifically, but not necessarily other parts. And hey, it's when you start yeah. going a lot faster and you start hitting things a lot harder. I'm imagining things break a lot quicker, so <laughs> it makes sense to have everything there. Um, yeah, I mean, spare spare arms definitely um, are going to be the main thing. Um, yeah, all of all of the frames that I design the arms are always identical. So all four arms are the same. So you only need, you know, whichever arm you break, it's it's going to be the same design so that you only need one spare, right, to fix any of the arms. And right. that's one of the things that um, has bothered me about some of the, like, dead cat frame designs where they have different arms for front and rear or different yeah. arms for left and right, where it's like, oh, but now if you, now if you, break, an, if you break an arm, it might not be the one you've got a spare for. <laughs> yeah um, that's so true or you need to have twice as many spares so i can imagine you buy like you know one set like a set of four for a dead cat frame and you break the front right and then you break the front right again and you're like yeah oh great now i've got to buy an entire set of four again and great now i've got spares for both the backs again and you know whatever i, I imagine that gets really messy really quickly i think they haven't broken anything I've, I've got one dead cat frame and it's a the iflight nazgul haven't broken anything on that yet. Fingers oh, crossed I don't, um, but I have had that yeah. for two years now. So 
kind of a little surprising. Maybe I haven't thrashed it hard enough, but um, <laughs> it's it's sort of been my my go to my go to drone for the longest time now. Just as a easy easy to work with. Do you, do you have a go to drone that you're running at the moment that you're sort of like you know you're picking um, up? And you're yeah, so I've just fun? built. I've, yeah, so I've just built. Um, I've just built two more uh just aos fives for for just when i want to go out and fly and have fun and don't want to fly a prototype yeah absolutely um, i can understand that so, so that's my go-to it really suits my style of flying um you know very lightweight um and i tune my drones really to the limit so the yeah. the vibration performance is really good for me um yeah. i really like to push the push them uh yeah, just push the tune as hard as I possibly can because uh, I really like that feeling of the the drone being very tightly tuned. So um, yeah, that's what I'm. That's what I'm kind of my going to be my go to for for certainly this year. Um, yeah, and I'm like you. I mean, I don't. I I I don't break much um, on any of my quads anymore. Um, maybe I don't fly hard enough in 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 uh, sort of. You know, risky enough environments maybe to to break stuff. Um, but maybe we just yeah, appreciate I, our wallets a little bit more now. <laughs> I think yeah. Oh, that's certainly the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah. Hitting things hard is is uh, an expensive pastime for certain. Oh yeah. Oh, it's one hundred percent is. Yeah, I've got a racing quad that I am consistently having issues with. I mean, it's probably on my end. I'm still very new to the building side of things and. I'm still trying to get my head around that, but man, there's constant issues. I've like bought a couple of different cameras. It looks like I'm gonna have to buy a new VTX for all, a third VTX for it's like, it's just, and I don't even know the actual issues. So always fun times with that, but yeah, uh, under, understandable. I'm curious to know, what are you running camera wise for your, for your quads? Are you on O3 or? Um, I am split between the old DJI system, the Vista and O3, but I'm, flying them all with the uh, goggles too right now yeah um for that's for the bigger quads for the smaller stuff um it's walks now avatar yeah uh that i fly on the the little tiny quads and then um on my race quads i have hd zero so um and i would say like having being being someone who kind of flies all three systems I would say that if you're only ever going to fly bigger quads, then probably the DJI system is going to give you the the best overall performance in terms of picture quality and range and penetration um, and all of that. It's the most expensive, particularly oh, yeah. with O3. Like it's O3. Oh, is oh really yeah. It is. Um, like you could buy a whole like you, you could buy a whole quad pretty much for the cost of the O3. You're not wrong. Uh, VTX. So I would say yeah. That's the best performance, but I don't think it's the best value. I think the best value is probably the Walksnet avatar system. Okay. Um, because you can fly it on tiny micros, like even down to 1S. You can fly it up to like big, bigger quads. Um, the image quality is really good. Like it's it's not as good as O3. It's pretty similar to the, DJ, the original DJI system. Yeah. Um, and the pricing is better than the pricing is better than O3. So that would be kind of my, if I could only pick one system, I think it would have to be that one. Uh, also, it has like this thing I tested recently with the latency. Like Avatar has a, a, a fixed, like it's basically fixed latency. Okay, right. Um, the DJI system, the latency is constantly varying. Yeah, all absolutely. the time varying but the the avatar system provided that the signal strength is reasonably good like it's it sits it just sits at kind of one latency value um so obviously just a different protocol they obviously have got some buffer in there so like i like you can you could even consider using it for racing i think um well wow. it's not going to be quite as good as the hd zero system but obviously if you just had one system that you could only fly there was only one fpv system um yeah, yeah. then that would be it and uh and yeah i don't i think that's the one thing is i don't fly analog much anymore um so i'm not i'm not the the kind of best person to to talk 
about analog because I haven't flown it for mm. for quite a long time, mainly flying digital. What are you flying at the moment? Yeah. Uh, so I've got I've got the Avada, which is obviously O three, um, mm-hmm. and then I run the the, the Cadex Air unit and the Nazgul, and I've also got so those are both on the goggles too. And then I've got the goggles V2 and they're set up with analog and that's what I'm running on the racing quad. Um, okay, cool. So yeah. And, and the only reason I really went with analog is because I already had the V2 goggles. So I was just like, well, I might as well buy a new module and just slap that on them instead of buying a new set of goggles, um, for the HD zero. Otherwise HD zero would have been the way that I would have gone. And it probably yeah. is still the way that I'm going to go at some point in the future. One of my friends has recently got it. I mean, I'm probably going to look through it and be like, hmm, contemplating, you know, how much more money I want to spend. Maybe I should buy HD Zero. So we'll, we'll see about that. But it'll be interesting to have a look at it. And I've seen it in action for racing. It, it's kind of, it's like kind of funny. I've joked about it a little bit with some people. Like, it's like, it's kind of like a cheat code. Like, you know, you put HD Zero for racing. It's like a cheat code. But like, you see the gates clear as day. It's fantastic. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, and you have I've, and I've you heard. have less latency than than the people flying analog next to you. It's not fair, really, is it? <laughs> it's, it's it's really not. It's like the best of all worlds, and it's like HD. Yeah. It's yeah, it's mind blowing. So, hey, it will be interesting to see where that avenue goes, and and hopefully it gets sort of pushed a little further. And man, if we can get, uh, I don't know, like probably pushing it, but like imagine something like O three quality in an HD zero sort of system. Obviously, I am not a scientific person, and it probably isn't even remotely possible. But something like that would just be mind blowing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it's. I think it is interesting to sort of see how the systems have have kind of developed and the different routes that they've taken. Um, I think, I think the image quality certainly of HD zero is going to improve. Um, they are not yet using as much bandwidth as um like dgi is for their o3 system right right? so there's more there's more spectrum that they could you know they could go to a um 40 megahertz 40 megahertz wide band rather than 20 megahertz wide band and get more um more bit rate which would let you have more resolution at the same frame rate Um, and because the way their system works like the latency is not really going to change um absolutely so so that's really cool it will still have i think the same the the hd zero sort of things of like the sparklies and stuff when it breaks up um yeah. which i don't think is a game i don't think there's a real problem with that like it's um it doesn't tend to be too much of an issue if you're flying if you're racing because you're quite close to yourself so i think that yeah. that would be good so very excited for that second generation system with the um you know looking towards maybe 1080p 60 or 1080p 90 um yeah. and then with dgi i mean they've they have pushed so hard in the direction of just better image quality and the latency is you know obviously variable and it's a, it's not as uh, low as on other systems um yeah. but the image quality is there and they really seem to be going for the the sort of the onboard recording as well as being super important so i don't know if you use that a lot with your o3 I am a massive advocate for it. I think it's like I've, I've made videos on it where it's a point of, if, especially for traveling. And it was actually the reason mm-hmm. I bought the Avada and I, I advocate so hard for the Avada, even with its issues that I despise, um, like doing the flippy crap, like it just, it annoys me. But the thought of O3 being not nearly, not not quite as good as a GoPro, but very much so good enough that I am more than happy to record with that and post with that and use that in my videos. It's like, I guess it's, I guess it's the point of, you know, you have somebody who's a camera nerd and I'm kind of a bit of a camera nerd and then you give them like iPhone footage and you know, it's, it's not perfect, but goddamn, I use iPhone footage in my videos. Like it's a point of, it's not the best, but it's very much so a point of, okay, instead of packing in an additional two batteries for a GoPro, an additional SD card, spend another 700 New Zealand dollars, put a mount onto this thing, weigh it down, take up more um, more weight, it's going to take up more battery. It's like there's a whole lot of downsides, obviously, in return for some very high quality video footage. 
Mm. And for some situation, that's super important and that's great. For the majority of situations when I'm flying, I just want footage that's good enough, right? And that, that I can fly and be happy to post and proud to post places. And so, yeah, for me, I'm a massive advocate for it. Um, and I, I really look forward to, I don't know what they're going to call it, but 04. If there's some form of like, well, obviously there will be. And whatever that next that next generation is from a videography background, man, that is what gets me the most hyped. If, if we end up getting some form of Go like proper full GoPro quality. If we got like, you know, the sharpness and detail of a GoPro into a low latency FPV camera, I would be, yeah, I'd be sold. I, I don't care what it costs. I'm buying it. You know, like <laughs> the point of the the simplistic of the simplest the simplicity of the system is yeah, and that's a big thing I think for me too is simplicity of systems, especially with DJI quads, um, the Avada. You plug it into a USB C and it charges. You know. For traveling again, you don't need to take a charging kit. You don't need to have 10 massive LiPo mm. batteries with you. You don't have to go through customs and be like, look, it's not a bomb, I promise you. You know, it's it's simple. It's just a little pack, package that battery, throw it in the bag. Nobody questions a thing. So I think, yeah, for me, the Avada even as a whole, including the O3 system is such a like kind of underrated, I guess, in a way. But it's it's a it's a pretty important like aspect for me to look into when I'm when I'm recommending drones and stuff and, and for beginner usage too somebody coming into the hobby right someone who isn't technically minded and i probably would put myself as not very technically minded like i watch your videos and thankfully you're fantastic at explaining things so i can watch them and i can actually understand the content but man if it wasn't for like actual decent explanations i'd be looking at that i'd be like writer I have no idea what this hobby is about. I'm not even going to attempt it. No way. And like, you know, for the very basics, if there's some people that come into the hobby and maybe they can't wrap their head around tuning. I mean, I'm, I'm not even, I can't even tune things just yet. That's still a step for me in, in the future. But, you know, whatever, whatever the technical side of things are, at least something like a Nevada 03, simplistic, they can record, send it to their mates, you know, happy as, happy days. Yeah, I think it's is that's right. I mean, it's like it's whatever you need it for. Um, mm. And I think, yeah, I think people will. I think people, a lot of people are just using the the O three for the onboard recording. I think that's great. Um, yeah. And I think it's got to be the future. It's got to be the future that that you know we're looking for um, lighter weight recording solutions. So that we can have longer flight times and more performance, and O3 definitely sort of saves a lot of weight over a GoPro. Um, it's it's uh, as you're you're right. It's then becoming the it's then becoming the the sort of the extra little bit. Yeah. Um, and you you'll still see like the people who are really trying to make the most amazing looking videos will be running GoPros with ND filters and they'll be doing lots of, you know, yeah. editing and post and stuff. And so there's always going to be a, I think there's always going to be that top end of the, mm -hmm. of the, of the situation where you, you want that extra little bit of quality, but yeah, um, yeah for people who just want to, you know, take some flight footage and post it on Instagram and then, yeah, like, why wouldn't you just use the, the O3 system? Exactly. Um, I mean, hey, there's there's always the point of there's going to be cine lifters around too for those extremely high, and those are never going anywhere, right? Like, nothing's going to replace us. Nothing's going to replace some massive red Komodo dragon, you know, on top of like, well, not Komodo dragon, but Komodo. What yeah, is it? The, the red Komodo, Komodo like the six K, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like some massive camera on a drone. It's it's not going to be replaced by a little O four, whatever it's coming out next. You know, no chance. But for the sake of the the i don't know the more simplistic people like myself in the hobby right i'm all for these weight saving and i mean i remember when the little insta 360 go to came out you know now i think it's the, the peanut or something or maybe that's a different brand i'm not sure but you know that little tiny camera that came out that was the first little action camera that i got for fpv because i could put it on what i have a tiny hawk 2 freestyle like tiny little quad i couldn't put a gopro on that I mean, yeah, obviously the footage was very subpar. So it's amazing to see even two years ago when that camera came out, what we have with O3 now being virtually the same size as that. 
significantly yeah. better video quality in my opinion like what more could we be asking for right yeah just uh just i think for it to be a little bit cheaper that's about no. the only thing that you could want <laughs> okay. right yeah no you're, you're <laughs> so right that's, that's probably why i don't have an actual o3 system over my air unit i've still got the original caddx probably not going to swap it out right now because it works good enough and yeah when it's i think it's 260 new zealand dollars just for the camera that's if you that's if you break your camera so if you crash and you smack your camera 260 new zealand dollars you know versus the 450 new zealand dollars to buy the o3 unit brand new so yeah it's it's a fair chunk of change yeah 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 it's pricey um and i think yeah it's 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 going to be for people who really want that onboard recording quality mm-hmm. um and and some people some people do i i would maybe there's like worth doing a poll or something but just trying to understand you know how many people are flying their quads and recording the video and uploading it to like a social media versus how many people are just building and flying for themselves and they're never gonna they're never gonna kind of post any video versus people who are you know flying in that kind of social way where they're going out and flying with their with their friends and they're one they're you know watching each other fly and and that sort of mm-hmm. thing um it's kind of these different ways i think that people enjoy fpv and it's hard to know like what the what the balance of that is you know yeah, well, I guess, like you said, great, great point for a poll as well. Find out what that's like and, I don't know, be kind of an interesting side of things. But just be interesting um, to know. That's, yeah. But exactly, right? Just like it's, it's, there are, like you say, there are so many different avenues of why you can use a camera and what, what good is it? Like, I look at it, I'm like, oh, actually, yeah, you say that. There is the point if you've got audience mode or whatever it's called. And then, you know, just somebody else can put the goggles on or you just hook your phone up and some newcomer can come along. I mean, I'd feel terrible if a newcomer came along now and they were like, hey, can I watch your footage? And, you know, I'm flying analog. I'd be like, oh, about that. This is what I see. And it's kind of a little awful, but I can still see. But it's it's not great versus, you know, an O3. And you're trying to show off to them. Oh, yeah, sweet. So I'm pretty much looking through the eyes of a GoPro right now. Yeah. yeah. And and also it's about, I think, with the, with the, when you flew with analog plus a GoPro, you'd use the, the GoPro footage would be what you'd use to actually enjoy the flight afterwards, because yeah. it would be like, you know, you'd fly it in analog, you'd obviously have a good time, but then you'd be able to watch the footage back and go, wow, it looks, you know, really amazing. Um, but now you're sort of getting that with the O3 and with the DJI system kind of like as you're flying it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in a way, the GoPro f- or the O3 footage is is very much more just what you were seeing while it was happening. Um, yeah. yeah, so it's a different it's a different sort of thing. It's 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 less like you're watching the GoPro footage and then rewriting your memory. I remember when I used to that when I used to fly analog, I'd like I'd fly it and then I'd watch back the GoPro footage and I'd be I'd be like, ah, this is what I was seeing <laughs> when I was flying. You know, yeah, this is what I was experiencing. You kind of kind of go back and, and rewrite it in your mind at least that's what i used to do so um yeah so yeah it's different now because you just don't and, and i i watch back a lot less of i watch back a lot less footage like i mm. i'll record stuff on um the avatar system or the o3 system um when i fly but then i don't i don't watch it back as much anymore i guess you're fully immersed in that experience and more so than ever now with the better goggles the better resolution and Mm. the better comfortability along with the better footage you kind of don't need to because you get that real big kick out of it immediately and you know you're you're getting that adrenaline rush you're you're having that much fun in the moment and it's almost like a point of it's almost turned like those tables almost turning it's almost not as cool to like look back at the footage because you're now not in control of that drone You've already seen there's it, not like but... there's not like that that kick of like oh wow look how amazing it looks when I did that line or I I, I flew through those trees yeah you know when I was flying it I was like I can't see any of the branches I hope I'm not going to hit anything um, and now <laughs> yeah. it's and then you look at the GoPro you're like wow it looks amazing you know that I was threading the needle through that and then uh, but with the with the digital systems where you're kind of getting that 
feeling while you're doing it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't get so much of a kick out of watching the footage after the fact anymore. So, but I guess you do get the kick out of it. You you get that original, you know, that original yeah. GoPro kick whilst you're flying. So it makes like the experience of flying twenty times better immediately in the moment, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You get it all up front. And then there's yeah. not, you know, if you have the footage, I mean, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't. Sometimes it's worth sharing. It Sometimes it's just not, and it's just kind of okay to have there. But I mean, the fact that we have, you know, O3 quality footage at our fingertips, if we do want to use it, instead of having to go out and specifically record with a GoPro, is kind of another great luxury that we're we're probably feeling a little spoiled with by now you know we're yeah like, i think it's like anything you just get used to it immediately right i'm just going to hit that record button and then that's you know or i set it to auto record and it's like yeah and i do that with all with all the systems actually with the i do that with the avatar system as well like i just yeah. have it set to auto record take off fly um and and the avatar yeah so i guess the um i like when i look back at the avatar footage versus the o3 footage and i know the o3 footage is better but I kind of don't watch either of them back, to be honest. Um, I just like, I just love, I just liked, I would much rather just go and fly another pack, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, thank you so much for coming on today, Chris. Really do appreciate your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, where can the viewers go and find both yourself, but also your products as well? Yeah, so you can find me on YouTube. You just search Chris Rosser um, and you'll find me. Uh, pretty quickly um just look for my face on all the thumbnails um <laughs> and then uh just for like just more information about the frames and to look at like the test data and stuff that i've i've put together all of that's on aosrc.com so head over there and and uh and check that out uh it's just there's there's just lots of information on there that that um i've collected over you know the last couple of years of of doing all the FPV testing that's worth taking a look at, I think, uh, particularly if you're deciding what to buy next. And then um, if you like the work that I do and you're you're looking to support the channel uh, and and support, you know, everything that I'm doing with all of the testing, um, then, yeah, please check out my Patreon. I'd really appreciate that. And uh, as we talked about earlier, um, the main focus on that at the moment is to get battery testing up and running. So. Uh, be working very hard on on getting that battery testing up and running hopefully in the next few weeks um uh but yeah you know relying on everyone's support for that so i'd really appreciate it absolutely so all those links are down in the description box below and yeah please do go and support chris and we we want we want to see these battery testing videos come to life i'm certainly keen on that so thanks again man